Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscamol, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike the Sound Guy, and we are broadcasting to you from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina. Uh, this is a little bit different from our typical podcast fair. Uh, this is going to be a, but I don't know what we would call it. I guess it's the preview for season three. So that's what we're going to call it the season three preview. So Mike and I are here. It's Sunday, the 30th of June, and we were preparing our normal podcast, going back to regular rotation with our first regular pod for season three. And it ended up being way too long because, in part, a lot of stuff has happened in my life uh, since the last time we had a regular podcast. So what we decided to do instead is that we're going to split it into two different podcasts. This one you're getting today. There is no criminal justice fuckery in this particular portion at all. So if that's the only reason you tune in, feel free to shut off the podcast now. Uh, And then our regular criminal justice fuckery minus the podcast notes uh, will be out tomorrow. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have Mike split this. We're re-recording this as a second intro so he can slice and dice and schmush and everything together so you can't even tell that this is all going to be part of one extended recording session. So let's start on the uh, the podcast note side with the million dollar question, where have I been? And the answer, if you've been following me on Twitter, is that I never really left. What happened was that I ended up falling way behind on everything and just did not have the time uh, to put together a podcast for y'all. Um, Basically, back in the, the January-February time frame, you might remember we switched over to this mini-pod format where I was capping the outline at 15 stories, and then we were coming in and, and putting them out and going from there. Well, around that time, my body, I was physically falling apart and didn't really know why. It was something where I was sleeping 10 to 12 hours a day. Uh, I was miserable even when I was awake despite sleeping that much, and I noticed that it was becoming a problem when I was finding, I was having trouble remembering stuff. And I have usually have a very good memory. My ability to think is one of the few fortes that I have. So the thought that I can't remember basic stuff really freaked me the fuck out. Uh, so I got a sleep test done because one of the problems that I know I have had, and I've joked about it, I've joked that I have raging sleep apnea on Twitter, uh, not realizing quite how raging the raging was. Had a sleep test done. What they do is they shove some hoses up your nose, they put an oximeter on your finger, you have to have a a device strapped to your chest, and the way it works out, so sleep apnea, it uses what's called an index. It's an apnea-hypopnea index, which measures how many times you have, you basically stop breathing per hour. And they say that zero to five is normal. A perfectly healthy person will be somewhere in the zero to three range. Uh, Five to 10 is mild sleep apnea. 10 to 15 is moderate sleep apnea. And anything over 15 is considered severe sleep apnea. And uh, your boy scored a 53.5. I was totally off the charts. They, uh, they don't actually have the chart going that high for how fucked up I was. Basically, my body was waking up subconsciously on its own about once every single minute of every single hour, every single time I went to sleep. And it wasn't just normal sleep apnea. So sleep apnea has different flavors. You have obstructive sleep apnea, which is the most common, 
it is something where your throat basically closes in on itself until your brain realizes that you're not breathing and then it forces you awake to take a breath. And this is something that's common with men. It's common with people who are over the age of 35. It's comfortable, uh, common with people who are overweight. And it's common with people who have a neck circumference of 17 inches or more. And I happen to hit all four of those boxes. I am 38. I'm about 60-something pounds overweight. My neck circumference is uh, 17.5. And of course, I am a guy. So I had that. had obstructive sleep apnea. But in addition... I had bonus sleep apnea. I have central sleep apnea, uh, which is what happens when your brain just tells your lungs or rather forgets to tell your lungs to breathe. You just stop breathing for no discernible reason. Now, this is common with people who have a prior uh, opioid addiction, for example, something that suppresses the nervous system. Uh, If you have some kind of cognitive impairment from a stroke in the past or something like that, it's common with people who live in a high altitude and it's common for people who are having uh, treatment for obstructive apnea. You get what's called emergent central apnea, which basically just means you're, you now have this machine strapped to your, your lungs. And uh, because of that, your brain just takes a day off. Well, none of those apply to me. The doctors have no fucking clue why I have central apnea. I've not been on any kind of medication, haven't taken any kind of opioids. I'm not that high level here in Durham. Uh, and don't have any other prior medical conditions. So they have no clue what that is from, but that's a big part of it. Uh, And in addition, I have what are called hypopneas, which means that you breathe, but you don't breathe deeply. So your blood oxygen drops, your blood CO2 spikes, and that has some really fucked up effects. So like my issues with memory, turns out that's a byproduct of having insufficient blood oxygen, is that it actually affects your ability to form and retain information, and that shit freaked me out. So I had all three, obstructive apneas, central apneas, hypopneas. And I needed what is called a BiPAP machine. Now, normally, if you just have obstructive sleep apnea, they give you what's called a CPAP. You've probably heard of it. It's super common. It's a therapy that's been around since a while. I mean, it's been at least the 60s or 70s, probably earlier than that. Well, the CPAP is basically you you strap a mask to your face and it blows air on you to the point that it keeps your airway open while you sleep. A BiPAP has two different pressure settings, one when you breathe in and one when you breathe out. That is designed to deal with people like me who are like super fucked up. Uh, So I had to get one of those. Couldn't afford it. We did a GoFundMe for it. Many of you were incredibly gracious to donate. I am grateful to you. You have no idea. Uh, If you were one of the people who donated, by the way, you got an email explaining where all the money went so that I didn't just, you know, pocket a bunch of cash and then not get the machine. Uh, I got the BiPAP machine about two and a half months ago now. Uh, Haven't been able to use it that full time. The first week it didn't really work because the mask I had, uh, basically the machine was blowing so high. The pressure settings were set to adjust automatically. And it would get to the point where like it was it was blowing off of my face. I would wake up and it would be like sucking on a hairdryer, if you can imagine that. Uh, I had bruises on my face from the straps at one point. And so that didn't work. So I ordered a what's called an over-the-nose mask that helps provide a better seal. So that way you don't lose the air. The pressure doesn't have to ramp up as high. Well, the first one I got of those, the Postal Service lost it. 
They, uh, they claim it was delivered to my office. No one in my office ever got it because folks were off at the time. I was there waiting the day it supposedly got delivered, and we never actually got it. Uh, so that was like a week and a half trying to find it. And actually, I've still got the lost mail request in with the Postal Service now two months later, and they still haven't found it. So I've got another mask. It works. Had it for uh, about two months, give or take, where it's actually been making a difference. And about two weeks ago had a follow-up visit with the doctors, and my AHI, my index number, was still too high. It was averaging around five-ish, and they wanted me below a three, so that I could be like a normal, healthy person. So they did some voodoo with the machine, tweaked some settings, and for the past uh, two weeks, it's turned out very well. And just this past week is actually, now again, this past week, I've had this for two and a half months. It's only been in this past week uh, that I've had multiple consecutive nights where my index number has been below a one. I have slept like a baby. And at the time, when I first started using it, I didn't notice the effect. You know, I didn't feel good. I just felt less bad. I noticed that I wasn't taking naps. I wasn't sleeping for as many hours. Uh, but now, man, I'm fucking wired. It's just something where I don't know how long I have been this messed up, but it is a huge difference. I'll give you an example. So Monday this past week, I had to be in three different courtrooms at roughly the same time. I had criminal district court at 9 o'clock, criminal superior court at 9.30 for a trial, and then a civil hearing at 10. And I was up until about 4 o'clock in the morning trying to make sure everything was prepped because I was freaking the fuck out that I couldn't like reschedule any of these things. I had to make sure that all my clients were appeased. So I only got three hours of sleep. Went to bed at 4, got up at 7. I felt terrible that day. But I felt roughly the same quantum of terrible with three hours of sleep that I did having been getting 10 and 12 hours of sleep prior to the machine. So now it's like, it's amazing. My hope is that we're, we're going to have uh, more free time on my part because I'm not sleeping as long and I've got energy so I can get more stuff done. Uh, so that's, for example, why you're now getting this podcast, because this week I've just been like feeling good. It feels good. So I'm grateful to all of you who helped make that a reality. That is the primary reason why I haven't been around. We're fixing it. Hopefully we're going to be back on a normal track from now on. Uh, so that is the, the personal health, you know, why I haven't been around side of things. So let's talk about another piece of my personal life. I now have a cat. Yes, the guy who has been talking about his dog for the better part of two and a half years is now a cat owner. Uh, you might remember my girlfriend. We've talked about her before. She got a cat about a year ago, and the cat loved her, didn't particularly care for me. It was because my, uh, my annoyance over the fact the cat didn't like me that she started looking for dogs because she wanted me to get another dog. And that was how we ended up getting Chance. I've had Chance for almost a year now. I love the dog to death. He's incredibly well behaved. He's a bit dopey, but I'm fine with dopey as long as he behaves properly. So love Chance to death. Well, I had a day that was just insane. So I went to court in the morning, had client meetings in the afternoon. I was running so much I didn't eat lunch. Went to my girlfriend's place for dinner after work. And finally, after that, I had to run errands, so went to the bank, went to the grocery store, went to the post office, finally get home at 9.30 at night. I haven't seen my dog since around 8.30 in the morning. And when I get out of my car, I hear a pitiful, absolutely pitiful meow. And in, in my mind at the time, 
I thought someone was walking their cat. That was the that was the natural thought that came across my mind. It took me a second to realize that no one does that. People don't walk their cats. Maybe in D.C. or, or somewhere fancy, you know, New York City, where you can pay someone to walk your cat for you. I don't know. Um, so after like the first second of oh, someone's walking their cat, the second second was wait a minute, no one walks their cat. I looked around, and I hear a meow again, and I see this cat who is in the parking space next to where I parked, basically walking around a uh, motorcycle that was parked there. So I leaned down and said, I don't know why I did this. I just leaned down and said, hey, come here, kitty. And the cat came up to me. Not only came up to me, but like started rubbing on my legs and everything else and had me pet it and so on, which is not an experience I have had with cats. I mean, I'm accustomed to my girlfriend's cat. He runs away when I walk in the door. So I called my girlfriend. And basically said, hey, there's a cat here. It doesn't have a collar. I don't really know what to do. It's too late at night for me to call animal control. The vet is closed. You know, what's the plan? So I ended up taking the cat to the uh, emergency vet hospital up the street that's open for 24 hours. Never made it inside. My dog heard my car pull up and park and then heard me leave again. So we go to the vet hospital. They scan it for a microchip. It's not chipped. It doesn't appear to have an owner. It's infested like fuck with fleas and ticks and earworm and, you know, everything else. So I'm talking to the vet hospital. I'm like, well, you know, can you guys like give it a bath? We'll pay you for it. I mean, I just want to make sure that this this cat is adequately treated. And they go, no, we have too much stuff going on. We're not going to give this cat a bath for you, even if you want to, uh, to pay us. So I had called my girlfriend. And we decided that we were going to take the cat back to her place because her apartment is cat central. Uh, We gave it a bath. In the midst of giving it a bath, it bit me and broke the skin, which I don't know. I didn't know this at the time, but apparently cats are really nasty fucking creatures. Like a dog bites you. Yeah, it's bad. You might want to get a tetanus shot, but you're not going to die. A cat bites you, and it's considered a high-risk bite 100% of the time. Like you have to be put on antibiotics. And the cat, if you're not familiar with it, you have to watch it for like 10 days to make sure that it doesn't have uh, uh, rabies. So I had to get a doctor's prescription to have doxycycline for a week to make sure that I didn't get some kind of random ass disease. And we were going to have to have the cat for 10 days and not let it out of our sight just in case it had rabies. So I was kind of like, well, fuck, you know, we're now going to we now have a cat for better or worse for a week. Uh, so we took it to the vet, made sure to get it vaccines for rabies and FIV and distemper and gave it a treatment for the fleas and ticks and, you know, culture to figure out what's going on with the earworms and everything else. Did all that. Kept the cat at my girlfriend's house for a few days. She's going bonkers because the cat that I had chosen to name Nameless, she refused to name it. She was calling it Cat 2.0. Uh, I was just going to call it nameless. You know, I was thinking of a Game of Thrones type reference because, of course, that finale has happened during our disappearance. And uh, he like yowls like a fucking sea lion. It's really weird. Like he does normal meows, but if he's sad, he will do like this absolutely pathetic sea lion yowl. And you know, I wonder if I can. Let me see if I can find a clip of it on my phone that I can play for you. Hang on. Okay, never mind. Turns out I've not actually been able to find it. Believe it or not, there was a, a lengthy span of time there where I was searching my phone, but because of the miracles of audio editing, you don't get to hear all that. Anyhow, so he yells like crazy. It's very weird. So there was a spot where she had to go out of town, 
and rather than have him at her apartment yowling in her absence, I brought him to my place with my dog. I kept him in the bathroom, kept the cat and the dog separate. Never the two shall meet. They can sniff under the door as needed. And bear in mind a few things. One, when I got Chance, he was a rescue. We had the uh, agency, the Durham Animal Protection Society, do what's called a cat test, where they will bring a cat around a dog and see how it reacts. And Chance tried to eat the test cat uh, to the point where the APS said that they would not adopt him out to me if I had a cat in the house. Now, luckily, I was a lawyer. I was able to get around that because I don't. My girlfriend has a cat in the house. I do not. Uh, But the few times I brought Chance to her place, Oliver, Ollie, her cat, runs under the bed and Chance will chase after it. So I assumed that my dog just intensely wants to eat cats. That was my assumption. But a few things happened. One, over the Memorial Day weekend, my uh, parents asked me to come visit them. So I had to find a dog sitter. And the dog sitter that we used had like five cats. And it turns out Chance didn't eat any of them and actually got along with a few of them. So that was the first thing. I was like, oh, this is a little strange. Well, the cat, the new cat, Nameless, is at my apartment. He's in my bathroom. And I've been trying to do as best I can because I use my bathroom. So you got to like open the door and quick slide in. And if the cat's there, you got to push him out of the way to make sure he doesn't escape and make sure the dog doesn't come in and everything else. Well, at some point, two or three days in, I just couldn't do it. Like the cat got loose. And not only did the cat get loose, but the cat is super fucking chill. Like he just went straight up to Chance and was like, sup, and just kept on walking. And Chance would sniff him, and Nameless would just keep walking. And then Chance would walk away because, you know, the cat wasn't interested in playing. And then the cat would just walk back and walk right under the dog. And I have it on video, and my mind was fucking blown. Like, I cannot articulate to you in words how insane it is to see a cat just totally just chill with my dog. It was insane. So, at this point, I'm convinced we're keeping the cat. Don't know if he's going to stay at my place. Don't know if he's going to stay at my girlfriend's place. But I want to keep the cat. She does not. She still doesn't, you know, want to give it a name or anything else. Well, fast forward to, uh, you know, a week or so later, we're pretty much going to end up keeping the cat. I've decided that I'm going to name him Biscuit because among his favorite pastimes is jumping into my lap because he's a lap kitty. It's very strange, but he likes to knead my leg, you know, push it like he's making biscuits out of dough. So that was how I came up with the name, and he's been here pretty much ever since. At some point, I'm going to take him back to my girlfriend's place because him and Ollie don't yet get along, so we need to work on that at some point because I would like to you know, eventually get married and move into a house, and at that point, we'll have to have an integrated dog and cat family. Um, but he's just he's so chill. I mean, it's really insane. We haven't had any real issues. He, uh, he did have his first week or so here. He barfed up a lot of food because he had intestinal parasites that, you know, they gave him medicine to kill off the worms. And as the worms were dying, like he just barfed up, you know, with cats, you sometimes have hairballs. Imagine a hairball, but it's a bunch of like worms all wrapped around each other and then undigested kibble. Um, But that's really been the only issue. He has uh, he has a tendency to grab my hand and not let me go. So like if he'll, he'll get into my lap and I'll scratch his head and then he'll roll over so I can scratch his chest and he'll grab my hand, like not with his claws, it doesn't hurt, but like he wants to make sure I keep scratching his chest. And then when he's done, he does a little bunny kick and that kind of hurts a little bit. So we got to, we got to work on that, but that's very cat-esque. Uh, but him and the dog get along fine. 
the first uh, first week or so, there was a time where Chance got a little too close and he got a, a cat claw to the nose and was bleeding a little bit. But since then, they get along. And actually, Chance has realized that he's much bigger than the cat. So like when he and I play fetch in the apartment, there's been a couple times where he's like trampled the cat by accident. The cat gets out of the way. Um, but Chance will just bowl him over. So now when they try and have fights, you know, you would think the cat typically tries to rule the roost. That doesn't happen here because there are moments where the cat is like, you know, I'm going to fuck you up. And then Chance is like, dude, I'm five times your size. I will trample you. And they just, they get along fine. Like Chance has licked the cat in the face and the cat's been cool with it. Chance has walked back and forth and the cat will swat him, but without claws. Um, this morning, actually, the cat was like hugging one of the chances, uh, one of the dog's rope toys. Uh, there was a moment where Chance had a chew stick that he was chewing on and the cat tried to take it out of his mouth and the dog like ripped it away. So it's, it's just been, it's a, it's a fun experience. It's totally hilarious. Chance is incredibly jealous because like there are moments where the cat's in my lap and he will come over very concerned. And the minute the cat gets down, Chance will jump in my lap and Chance is like 65 pounds. It's not something you want just jumping on top of you. Um, but it's been a, an amazing experience. i you know, I'm not quite used to scooping a litter box every day, but beyond that, it's been fun. I just need to figure out living arrangements because I can't have this cat in my bathroom in perpetuity. So those are the main personal updates, the story of my health and the story of me having a cat. So let's talk more professional stuff uh, on fundraisers. We do a lot of charity work. Those of you that are new to the podcast know uh, or don't know, rather, you should know. We do around four or five charity fundraisers a year. So back in April, which was during our time on hiatus, we did our annual fundraiser for the American Heart Association, where we help out Faith Bailey uh, with the, uh, I don't even remember the name of it. They changed the name this year. It used to be Jump Rope for Heart, and then it was like Kids for Heart. Well, now that she's older, uh, it's in the uh, something STEM related. So normally we do that in February, but this year we did a fundraiser for the TJ Dunaway Scholarship Fund in February, and they started late anyway, so it was fine. So we did this one in April. It was our fourth year helping faith out and we raised $1,560. So that's more than we've ever raised for her before. Totally blew away her thousand dollar goal. But here's where it gets crazy. The entire school, her entire school raised $3,810, which means our work just for her is 41% of that total. So like the website has all the kids in the school where they list how much each of them raises. And she was at number one on that list the entire time. And she's old enough now where like she has a phone and sends text messages. And she texted me a few times just in utter disbelief that it turned out as well as it did. I'd shared some of them on the Twitter feed, but it was super cool. And it's just crazy to think how big a gulf there is between what she was able to raise with our help and the other kids in the class. So like number two in the school is Aubrey W. And she raised $325. And then third place is Tanner L. Who raised $250. Uh, Faith B. Raised $1,560. And we could not have done that without you. I truly do appreciate it. Uh, Speaking of the Dunaway Scholarship Fund. Mentioned back on episode 92. That we had raised $3,320 for that. That was scholarships to cover three separate college students. Well the actual giveaway for that 
was June 1st and 2nd. So they have a basketball tournament and then they have a gala. Uh, so I went to that to check in. I didn't go to the gala because that was a little too fancy for me. I would, did go to the basketball tournament, though. Uh, it turned out great. Everything went well. The student recipients, the pictures after the fact, they were ecstatic. Uh, they did have a giveaway of some gifts where if like you tagged your location on Facebook, uh, it, you're like kind of gag gifts of sorts. And I won a absolutely hideous women's clutch that was coated in rainbow colored fur. I don't know what the fuck it was. Uh, and I ended up, that was my, that was my win. So like out of everyone that was there, you know, it, it's a, uh, not a lot of people who look like me, if you will, a bunch of white bald male lawyers, and then I'm winning this rainbow clutch in the middle of a basketball court with everyone staring and laughing. It was a trip. I got a kick out of it. I ended up offering it up to whoever wanted it. And uh, this kid, who he couldn't be more than six years old, came up and asked for it. So I gave it to him. And then he immediately gave it to a little girl who looked like she was probably like 10 or so. I guess he had a crush on her. Um, but it was just it was friggin' adorable. And the whole weekend was great. You know, kudos to David Garvin, who's my classmate who helped put it together. It was very successful. And we could not have done it without your help. So I just want to say thank you for that as well. Uh, In terms of future fundraisers, so we have at least three more this year. I don't know if we're going to do a fourth one because we've already had two already. Uh, But the school supply drive with crayons to calculators will be sometime this summer. I'm waiting for them to get back to me on when that is, but plan for it sometime in July or August. Now, for that one, we don't raise money. What I do is I have you all ship school supplies to my office, and we act as a collection site. Uh, The Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club, we do a fundraiser for their event every year. That is going to be on September 6th. That is a Friday. And then my personal favorite, the one that I'm excited about, the fifth annual, we've been doing this for a half a decade now, the fifth annual Bull City Food Raiser is going to be on December 6th for the actual raising of the money, and then we're going to distribute it about a week and a half later. So we're going to, we raise the money, we buy the food, and we have to figure out how we're going to handle distribution because uh, we were really pushing the limits last year. This past year, we raised over seven grand. And it took a a fuckload of people because we fed an entire school. So like every student at Glen Elementary School here in Durham uh, got a bag of groceries to take home for the holiday. I want to continue doing that, but I also want to expand. I would love to get to the point where we can have like multiple schools, every kid getting some stuff. Uh, So we'll see. At the very least, I want to make sure we can do a full school two years in a row before we expand. But just know that is coming. It is going to be on Friday, December 6th for the actual raising of the money. And then we will handle getting the food and distributing it about a week and a half later. So that is on the philanthropy stuff and then podcast stuff. So actual Fiskamall podcast notes. Uh, You might notice episode 93 is missing. That is actually on Patreon. It is a patron-only episode from May. It's an hour-long Law 140 on congressional oversight powers, including how they hold executive branch officials in contempt if they don't cooperate. Uh, As a... a, I I really don't know if I can call this a podcast note, but if you follow me on Twitter, you may have noticed the past almost a month now, we've had this long-running thread dubbed The Threadknot. If you're familiar with uh, history, you might have heard of the uh, Dreadnought Warships. That is the inspiration for the thread title that one of the folks who were commenting suggested. We just kind of ran with it. And I know a lot of you don't follow me on Twitter, and the ones who do 
don't know what the hell is going on because the origins of the thread have been lost to the sands of time fairly early on. So I'm just going to explain briefly the story of it so that you know, and then all of us can pray together that it ends soon. Uh, So there's a guy who is a voice actor for anime, and I don't know how to actually pronounce his last name because I've never heard of him before. It's like Vic Mignona or Mignana or something like that. Uh, Apparently, he's been the voice of several popular characters over the course of his career. I'm not really into anime, so I couldn't tell you. Uh, Well, he's also been alleged to molest a lot of women and girls. And the earliest incident that I've been able to find in the midst of this past month dates back to 1989 when I was eight years old. Uh, So, of course, we're in the hashtag MeToo era. Folks started coming forward earlier this year. And once some folks came forward, other folks came forward. Uh, Vic started getting blacklisted from anime conventions, which is apparently how a lot of the voice actors make some bread on the side. Uh, he was fired from one of his employers, etc., etc. So that is the gist of what started this. This is the background stuff. This guy has been accused of sexual harassment, and a bunch of people have come forward to say, yes, it happened to me as well. Well, there is a YouTube lawyer from Minnesota a guy named Nick, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name either. I'm assuming it's Rikita. Uh, I call him Screech because he reminds me of the guy from Saved by the Bell, and he does, in fact, Screech a lot. Well, this guy evidently had an idea that he could become a bigger YouTube celebrity if he ran to Vic's defense, and he could set up a GoFundMe to finance a libel slander lawsuit against Vic's accusers. So Screech ended up getting a pretty massive boost to his uh, YouTube followership. If you look at his viewer stats back when he was doing law stuff compared to when he's doing White Knight for Vic stuff, tremendous increase and the number of people that are paying attention to him, which of course on YouTube means you get more ad revenue, you get people paying to be part of Super Chats, etc., etc. So tremendous money-making opportunity for Screech. And they set up this GoFundMe to bankroll the lawsuit where they raised about $200,000. Well, it turns out Screech's family is friends with a Texas probate lawyer named Percy Tyrone Beard. He goes by Ty Beard. I've called him Percy because I think that's more fitting. Well, I don't know what conversations Screech and Percy had, but as best I can tell from the evidence that's available, it seems like Screech convinced Percy this would be a slam dunk. So Percy became Vic's lawyer, and they filed a libel slander lawsuit. And they actually have sayings. They say, fear the beard. And there are fans of Vic that have created fear the beard t-shirts with a silhouette of Percy's beard. Uh, Basically, tremendous opportunity for both of them to make a lot of money. And then on the side, they terrorize Vic's victims on social media. Well, Texas has a law called the Texas Defamation Mitigation Act that I had no clue existed before all this started. And the gist of the law is that before you can sue somebody for defamation, you have to send a letter demanding a retraction because Texas is ruby red, very uh, pro-Republican, anti-ambulance chaser, pro-tort reform, etc., etc. So they have a bunch of laws that make it really fucking difficult to sue someone for defamation, which as a First Amendment guy, I happen to love. Uh, But if you're Vic Mignogna, or however the hell you pronounce his name, probably not the best place to be filing a libel slander lawsuit. That's just me. Well, so as part of this TDMA, uh, you know, retraction request, Percy's firm sent letters to three different people. 
And there were certain excerpts from each one where if you go to law school and you study for a bar exam, you know certain things are never, ever, 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 ever defamatory. They can't be. It's just completely, totally never defamation. Defamation is one someone says an objectively verifiable statement of fact about you that is false. It's sent to another person and it causes damages. That is defamation. It has to be an objectively verifiable statement of fact. Opinions are not defamation. Protected speech is not defamation, etc., etc. Well, I'm going to read you excerpts. There's one apiece from each of the three letters. But before I get into the excerpts, I, I want to know, or want you to know rather, uh, that every page of every letter is on letterhead. No one does that. Who does that? You put the first page on letterhead, you put the rest on regular paper. And all three of them identify at Ron Toy as the account, even though it went to three different people. These are three separate retraction requests. So from the first one, this is an exact verbatim quote. Nothing has been changed by me. It says, quote, on February 19, 2019, at 8.31 a.m., you stated, subquote, she, Monica, did nothing wrong. That fucking piece of shit did, end subquote. This statement is defamatory and false because Mr. Mignogna is not a piece of shit, parentheses. That is another name for feces. Thus, it is impossible for him to be a, subquote, piece of shit, and subquote, and parentheses. Nor did he commit any crime as alleged. Now, you'll note a few things. One, a piece of shit is an insult. It cannot ever be defamatory, ever. Insults are not defamatory. If you don't believe me, there's an old case about Jerry Falwell and Larry Flint called Flint v. Falwell. Look it up, Supreme Court case. You can't be defamatory if it's an insult. In addition, you notice, nor did he commit any crime as alleged. There's no allegation of committing a crime there. Uh, he just said that he did something wrong. There's all sorts of things you can do wrong that aren't crimes. So anyhow, that was the first one that got the attention of law Twitter, specifically the libel slander subset of law Twitter. But we'll get to that in a minute. The second excerpt from the letter to the second person, quote, on February 11, 2019, at 5.51 p.m., you tweeted, subquote, If you're talking about Vic, I didn't ruin him. His actions were his downfall. Mignogna, your statement is defamatory because you imply his action are criminal and should cause his downfall. Yes, there's a random Mignogna in there, and his action are criminal. Let's skip past the random-ass terrible grammar and lack of proofreading to go back to the point where all she said was his actions were his downfall. What the fuck is defamatory about that? That is a protected statement of opinion. So let's go to my personal favorite of the three, excerpt three from the third letter. And again, none of this has been changed by me at all whatsoever. It says, quote, on February 7, 2019, at 12.32 a.m., you tweeted, quote, what would Jesus do? Light him on fire and send him to hell, end quote. This statement, besides being blasphemous, is defamatory, and it too is false. There is not a single place in the Bible where Jesus states that he would, subquote, light someone on fire and send him to hell. Jesus spread the message of love for everyone, not vindictiveness and defamation. Now, here's the thing. That passage might potentially be defamatory toward Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus came back and wanted to file a defamation lawsuit in Texas, okay, I could roll with that. But someone commenting about what Jesus would do cannot, in any circumstance, 
be defamatory towards Vic Mignogna. All right. So those excerpts got passed around. And a IP attorney named Akiva Cohen, who I like and respect, I follow him on Twitter, we talk. Uh, well, he posted an excerpt and tagged it. And he said something to the effect of, I'm dead. I'm literally dead. And I saw it. And I was like, this is this is impressively bad. Like, this is first year out of law school if you graduated last in your class and started your own practice level bad. Well, then a day or two goes by. And another guy named Shannon, who I follow on Twitter, tags me and is like, hey, what's your legal opinion on this? And I get caught up to speed on everything else. I get sent a, a background article on the sexual assault stuff. I get a link to the actual text of the lawsuit. And I am in Hillsboro after court eating lunch at my favorite bar. If any of you are local, go to the Wooden Nickel in Hillsboro. Their wings are amazing. They don't pay me to say that. It's just that good. And as I'm eating my buffalo wings, I tweet out, quote, earlier today, I learned about this hashtag stand with Vic hashtag and the total gibberish sent by his lawyers as part of a lawsuit. And that's LOL suit. Reminder to check out the defamation basics law 140 on why this is going to end poorly for him. That's all I said. And I thought that was going to be the end of it. But fuck me sideways with a fork. There were chuds, chuds, chuds everywhere for days. Screech flipped out on his YouTube. He had a, a YouTube episode, live stream, whatever you want to call it, where he is like yelling at the camera because he's so pissed off that I have weighed in. Uh, he had Percy on as a guest. And Percy asks to have a doxing website called Kiwi Farms dox me and dox Akiva and goes further to say, make their lives miserable. I would consider it a personal favor, which, of course, Kiwi Farms did because none of these guys can think for themselves. They did it laughably bad, like it was comedic watching this shit happen. Uh, one, they found a bunch of shit that I already talk about on Twitter, so it's not like it's a secret. Uh, they thought that Samson was still alive, even though Samson died in 2017. And they somehow figured that out, even though they noticed that at the time I had Nameless. So they knew Nameless was around, but couldn't realize that Samson was long gone by the span of years. Uh, they pointed out that I drove a Hyundai, except they put it in the present tense. They insisted that I'm still a Honda driving lawyer, and they used that as a, a critique even though the car was totaled in 2016. I've been in a Toyota RAV4 for three years now. And they just, they, they missed basic stuff. Like, I, I ran for office. Most of you know that. If you're doing opposition research and you want to make someone's life miserable, the things you look for are the things that are going to be bad. So the first two things that I would point out if I were running against me is one, I'm in Chapter 13 bankruptcy. We've talked about that several times before, but most people look down on bankruptcy. And two, I have a son with a woman I'm not married to. He's going to be 21 in July. As far as attack points, though, those are the two points you would bring up. They didn't find that shit until fucking weeks later after I mentioned it on Twitter and said, hey, guys, y'all are doing a really piss poor job on this doxing. And there's at least one guy who actually doxed himself trying to dox me. He's a member of Mensa and tried to argue that I was not, which was stupid. All I did was make a comment about Mensa Magazine, and he sent me this very huffy direct message on Facebook saying, you wanted us to believe that you were in Mensa by commenting on the magazine, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a fuck. I don't care if anyone thinks I'm in Mensa or not. I was. I've got the membership cards, but I don't actually care to tout my membership to anybody. Well, this guy leaves a review on my law firm Facebook page, sends me these messages, 
and then posts screenshots of the messages to Kiwi Farms. So now I've got his Kiwi Farms name attached to his actual real name. Turns out that he's a, he's a professor at Georgia Tech. Uh, so that guy doxed himself. And then we just had this fucking total shit show on Twitter where they've been in my mentions for 25 days now. Today is day 25. There's been a thousand percent increase in the times I've been mentioned. I get an average of 558 replies per day. It was so insane that back on June 27th, Twitter's analytics actually broke. Like if you go to the analytics page, there's nothing there. It's zero likes, zero retweets, zero tweets, zero mentions because there's just so much shit funneling into my account from so many different sock puppets and you know waifu warriors and kids living in their mom's basement and all this other shit. Uh, one of them tried to prank call my cell phone for pretty much all day, a couple times an hour, every hour for an entire day. Uh, I Luckily, I have the RoboKiller app, which is amazing, so I didn't get any of them. I just got a report showing when it was happening. Uh, it, it's just been total, total stupidity. And, and I don't say that lightly. Like it's, it's manifestly incredibly stupid. So some of the highlights. Bear in mind, these are things that they have picked up from either Screech or Kiwi Farms that they're then rebroadcasting to Twitter like it makes sense. Uh, we've been told repeatedly that the Constitution of the United States doesn't apply in Texas. Uh, the First Amendment doesn't apply in Texas. We've been told that basic Supreme Court opinions governing defamation, like uh, New York Times versus Sullivan or Gertz versus Welch or Masson versus New Yorker Magazine or that Flint v. Falwell case I mentioned, those don't apply in Texas. Uh, we've been told truth isn't a defense to defamation in Texas, even though it is. It's actually in Texas statutes in addition to being part of case law. Uh, we've been told that truth isn't a defense to tortious interference with contracts in Texas, even though the Texas Supreme Court has said that it is if the tortious part of the tortious interference is alleged to be an act of defamation. Uh, we've been told repeatedly that there are these 400-plus defamatory tweets that are just going to totally devastate the defense even though those tweets were not included in the TDMA uh, retraction letters, like they're required to be under the statute. We were told the defendants had the burden of proof, which is false. They only have the burden of proof on affirmative defenses. For the people who said that the plaintiff had the burden of proof, which was accurate, they then said that all he has to do is say under oath, that's false, and that's enough to satisfy the burden of proof, even though it's fucking not. And in addition to not being enough to meet the burden, he's going to end up getting cross-examined. We've been sent cases in Australia, like Jeffrey Rush. We've been talked about cases in the UK, you know, people insisting those are going to be unprecedented, even though they're totally different fucking countries and wildly different legal systems. Uh, just a couple days ago, we had people asking or acting rather like saying, I don't recall is some kind of devastating foul paw in a deposition when it's not. It's standard deposition practice. Uh, and then, of course, you, you got the normal insults. You know, I can't understand Texas law because I'm not licensed in Texas or I'm in bankruptcy or I drive a Hyundai. Just a bunch of dumb shit. I know more about Texas law at this point than I would ever want to know ever in my life. I know fucks it, but Texas defamation law backwards and forwards clearly better than the plaintiff's own lawyer at this point. Uh, and then there's just a bunch of creepy fucking side conversations. So like the threat itself, you can't view it going forward anymore. The only way you can get to it. So like there are so many tweets in the thread that Twitter's threading is broken 
for this particular thread. You have to go to the tail of the thread and then scroll back in time those 25 days, and then you can read forward and some of the side branches and everything else, where there are like multiple offshoots of the main thread, where there have just been some really fucking crazy-ass conversations. Like one guy was legitimately arguing at length with other people, many of whom are lawyers, that 14-year-olds can totally give consent to be molested by 50-year-olds, or 50-year-olds, and that's totally fine. Uh, there's another dude who tweeted, and this is an exact quote, silence is consent. Look it up. Like, what the fuck? Silence is not consent. If you're passed out drunk, you can't give consent by law, period. You know, there's just all kinds of other gross shit. I'm not at all surprised these are the types of people who are defending a guy accused of molesting dozens of women over the course of at least 30 years. Uh, but it's just been crazy. So the shit is still going. It's been going on. I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Uh, I am eternally grateful. There have been about 24-ish other lawyers who have stepped in to kind of deal with the bullshit. There's been about a half dozen that have been like really gung-ho about it. Uh, but about two dozen lawyers in all, plus a couple law students, a few lawyers from overseas. So grateful for all of them. There are parts where we've actually had some fun. Uh, we have Thread Not Bingo, where the, the tweets, they get mentioned the most often. You can generate your own bingo card. Uh, uh, one of the folks actually created new banner images that they sent me to put up on Twitter. And we actually had one guy who, I don't know if he's a law student or a lawyer or what, he's in California and actually tweeted out what, if you had looked at it independent of what was going on, seemed like an admission that he was hacking my law firm website. Uh, he wasn't. I mean, they, the Kiwi Farms found a public-facing directory where I would share certain documents with other lawyers. So like, it wasn't anything hidden. Uh, but I was just trying to fuck around with him, and he tweeted me a screenshot of the directory listing. So I responded back, "Are you wait, are you hacking my website? Because it sounds like you're hacking my website. Total fucking joke had no intent of doing anything. I knew about the directory ahead of time. It wasn't a hack. Well, this guy got so freaked out, he deleted the tweet, then deleted his entire fucking Twitter account, then locked down his Facebook privacy settings to make sure that I couldn't find him because he's a dumbass tweeting under his own name. So I was able to find everything I wanted to know about him. Had I wanted to turn him into the authorities, I could. I mean, California's cybercrime laws are pretty fucking flexible. He probably would have committed a crime just by, uh, you know, spidering the directories there. But it's just been, it was hilarious. Like, that was one of the fucking highlights is this dude just having a total fucking meltdown because he was nervous that he was going to throw his life down the shitter to try and make some kind of point towards me about a fucking molesting voice actor that he doesn't even know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's all insane. It's all insane. So one of the upsides for all of this thread knot bullshit is that I was invited to join the uh, Violet Wanderers as a guest for their podcast, uh, and they're funny as fuck. So the link is in the uh, Twitter thread. I'll put it in the show notes if you want to check it out. Their sense of humor is a bit risque, so if you're more on the prudish side, uh, I, I don't know why you're listening to me, frankly, given my profanity, but they're just funny as hell. Like When we were recording it, there was a span of time, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you when it was, but you can guess when you listen to it, where I was laughing so damn hard, I actually choked on my drink and spilled my soda all over the place because it was just, just fucking hilarious. Um, so that's that. That is the origins of the Threadknot stuff and the uh, guest podcast I was on and everything else. So what is next? Well, tomorrow will be the regular podcast for this. 
So we've got criminal justice fuckery from all over the country. Some of the shit is eye-poppingly wild. Uh, We have our next edition of What the Fisk Ready to Go. I'm not sure when it's going to drop, but that was basically when I was trying to create an episode back when I was feeling like garbage and we never actually did it. That is in the hopper, ready to roll. Uh, If you happen to be one of our patrons, thank you. If you've not checked out our Patreon, please do. Uh, We do have several episodes there that are all on 40s on different topics. The patron funding is how I pay for this. So we pay Mike the Sound Guy, we pay the web host, we pay Blueberry, who actually hosts the media podcasts uh, and everything else. And share your ideas with me on what you'd like to see as we head into season three. So this is our third year of doing this. Uh, and I'm fine with uh, retooling if needed. I mean, it's something where we just kind of did this as a bootstrap type deal and we've been running with it ever since. If there's stuff that you want me to tweak and refine and hone and add, uh, please let me know. So that is going to conclude the mini pod, even though it's not really a mini pod, it's more like a season three preview of sorts. Um, it's not even really a preview. It's just where the fuck I've been for the past few months. You know what I meant? So just thank you for listening. Uh, stick around for tomorrow. And if you don't listen tomorrow, have a great week anyway. Take care.